self-respect, a sense of honor. Now here, uh, it is that which shrinks, listen to this, from overpassing the limits of womanly reserve and modesty, as well as from the dishonor which justly attach thereto. It shrinks from the idea of exposing itself, of stepping over the limits and saying, hey, look at me. I got money. Hey, look at me. I got real fine clothes. Hey, look at me. I mean, I'm, I'm showing some stuff off here. It shrinks from that. That's a Christian attitude. It doesn't mean walking around with a long face and going, oh, you know, we're just all stinking, wretched, miserable sinners. That's all we are. That's all we can think. And let's walk around with a glum look. No. No. It, it, what it means is we're the children of God. We are the children of God, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And everything about us should speak of His glory and of His grace and of His saving mercies. And that we've been rescued and set free into a glorious liberty of goodness and holiness and purity because before we were enslaved to our own lusts. This is the idea then that shrinks from stepping over the line of womanly reserve. And shrinking from the dishonor. Today, young women wear things. And the older men here will testify to this. The rest of you may go, yeah, that sounds like old people talking. But I can guarantee you, I can tell you for the fact that when I was young, what I see very often deacons and pastors' daughters wearing into churches is what harlots used to wear on the street. Many skirts and fishnets are not proper in the house of God. They are for those who are advertising their wares. God's children advertise their Savior. Brethren, the word also means modesty, respectful fear, discretion, propriety, and it is often linked to the word sobriety. He says they often go together. And this one sobriety was considered a cardinal virtue. He says, <clears throat> it has much the same sense of piety, holiness, being used for dread and fear before what is awful. And hence, for fear before God and whatsoever is associated with Him. goes on to say, It became used for the individual's attitude to themselves and thus developed the idea of shame and modesty. Here it refers to the modesty or decency with which women should behave. This includes the avoidance of clothing and adornment which might be both showy and extravagant as well as sexually enticing. In other words, you can't dress like Brittany and honor Christ. She has, by the way, shown her colors, those of you that follow her, has she not? Just a virgin, Southern Baptist, 
She said in an interview that her mother taught her, if you've got it, flaunt it, and that's what she's been doing. This is not Christianity. That militates against the very words of the text. Not my mind, not my problem, the Word of God. William Hendrickson, who at one time lived in your area, you folks from Michigan, says, this word means a sense of shame, a shrinking from trespassing the boundaries of propriety. We wouldn't want to do that. Today it's like, sure, do it. Do it as much as you can. Do it as much as you want to. It's the very opposite of the words chosen by the Spirit of God. Now, the word sobriety is an interesting one. I will press on a little bit. I will try to move a little more quickly. The next word that we have here, sobriety, shamefacedness and sobriety. One commentator says, we have rendered good sense. It means literally soundness of mind. Sane. In getting dressed for church, Hendrickson says, women must practice sanity. They must dress in sensible attire. They must not try to show off, to be all the rage, wearing flashy apparel so as to make others jealous of them. The robe must be expressive of inner modesty and of a sane outlook on life, the outlook of a Christian. Those who have been saved from the darkness of this world And they have self-control. Describing a life characterized by balance and self-control, which is linked to the, Christ, to the Christ event and the change of life which faith in Christ produces. Let me, let me say that again. This is a word that describes a life characterized by balance and self-control, which is linked to the Christ event and the change of life which faith in Christ produces. In other words, if we're truly Christians, we have been changed. We are new creatures in Christ. We think differently because we are now thinking according to the Word of God instead of thinking according to what necessarily the uh, daily newspaper or the, or the evening news tells us. I'm not saying if you ever read the newspaper that you hear the daily news that you're sinning in and of itself. What I'm saying is that who is the voice of authority for you? Brethren, I'm having to deal with parents over and over and over again that call me and say we've tried to raise our children in modesty and their friends tell them what's the matter with you? You look funny. Why do you you wear these long dresses? I mean, why don't you wear this and why don't you wear that? And the children leave home thinking that their parents are strange and bizarre when, friends, what Hollywood is telling you is normal, is strange, bizarre, perverted, and anti-Christian. But that's what's telling your children what's normal. Marshall says that this word, sobriety, applied specifically to women, might suggest chastity and sexual purity as a form of self-control. 
The public education system has done everything it can possibly do and is still attempting to do everything it can to violate all of our children regarding the issue of immorality. Read any textbook, I dare you, on sex education and ask if this is what you want taught to your children. They are being told in classrooms, whatever you want to do, whatever you want to try, whatever you want to experiment, do it and don't let your parents stop you. That destroys modesty. The natural modesty that's in, in, in most people. That destroys the idea of shrinking back. They're saying, no, 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 this is normal. Don't back away from it. It's normal. It's those people that want to make you feel guilty about it that are bad. It's those preachers. No exaggeration here, friends. The very idea, you adults, I would not say this to the younger people, but to the adults, you ought to read Wendy Shalit's book, The Return to Modesty. She's a young Jewish woman. Uh, the book is very hard to read, not because it is difficult grammar, because because of the uh, grossness that she has to go through to explain what has happened to our society. But she begins with the fact that her mother and father let her opt out of the sex ed classes at her school. And that was one of the things that preserved her and helped her begin to understand the concept of modesty. And this is not a person who's professing to be a Christian. She understands that modesty is not simply a matter of clothing, but a matter of the way you live, a matter of the way you think, a matter of being pure and having self-control to say, no, I don't care if everyone else is doing this. I will be pure and I will be a virgin until such time as my godly father gives me to a godly man. Marshall says about this word, it is also frequently mentioned as a womanly virtue. A womanly virtue. Today it is scoffed at. What's the matter with you? You got some kind of hang up? Oh, you need to loosen up. Now, it was a womanly virtue, and in such context, it has a special nuance. It is almost the equivalent of chastity. He goes on to a quote that says, The harlot knows nothing about modesty, chastity, and prudence. That comes from the very word here, sobriety. Sobriety. Sobriety signifies a command over bodily passions, a state of self-mastery in the area of the appetite. The basic meaning of the word has different nuances and connotations and represents that habitual inner self-government with its constant reign on all the passions and desires which would hinder the temptation to immodesty from arising. In effect, Paul is saying that when such attitudes self-consciously control a woman's mind, the result is evident in her modest apparel. In other words... He's saying that your clothing speaks of your profession or the denial of your profession. It is built into the very language.
I will skip over a few others as the hour grows late. Kelly says in his book, The Pastoral Epistles, while his remarks conform broadly to the conventional diatribe against female extravagance, what is probably foremost in his mind is the impropriety of women exploiting their physical charms on such occasions and also the emotional disturbance they are liable to cause their male fellow worshipers. Now that's bold for a commentary, folks. That's not a sermon coming out of Charles Spurgeon. This is a commentary on the two words, shamefacedness and sobriety. What's his point? When we come together, our focus is not lust. That's what we've been saved from. Our focus is the Holy Lord Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the Holy Redeemer of His children. And He as the Holy, 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 the thrice Holy God saves His people and makes them holy. When they gather together to worship and adore them, it should be a small earthly microcosm of what's going on in heaven. When the saints and the angels are surrounding their God, glorious in holiness and magnifying Him, He is the main attraction. And that's the whole point, is that those who have new hearts should be coming together and worshiping and adoring the Lord, not showing themselves off. That is embedded in the Word. And it doesn't simply mean immoral, sensual clothing. It means gaudy, rich, luxurious clothing. Now, you know, I'm not saying that we all need to put on sackcloth and ashes and show up next week, you know, with our our faces long. No. Uh, Arrange yourselves nicely. Cover your bodies with uh, uh, good, pure clothing that does does not show off and make an anatomy lesson for everyone here. Why? So that we might honor one another. Now, a lot of these quotes, because the verse deals with women, are aimed at women. Ladies, if you think that that somehow or another this is becoming a a chauvinist railroad here to attack the women, that's not the case. In fact, let let me go so far as to tell you the issue of modesty ultimately is man's problem. Until we have holy fathers with the backbone to take the Word of God and instruct their daughters and instruct their wives, we're going to continue to see this. We're going to continue to see this. Until there are pastors enough with the backbone to say, I don't care if you're angry with me or not, this is what the Word of God says. Until men stop being ruled by their children and their wives, this isn't going to change. But it can change. And it doesn't mean that we become a bunch of proud, angry, obnoxious Pharisees. If it comes from hearts melted by the grace of Christ, it is something that we do for the protection, the preservation, and the honor of our wives and our daughters. And fathers, you ought to be teaching your sons to respect and protect women. 
I will give you a, a personal anecdote. And I called the man, who, by the way, is from Grand Rapids, Michigan. He called me year before last when my booklet first came out. And he said, do you believe this down here in your church? And I said, yes. He said, well, I'll have my wife start looking to see what the economy is down there for, to consider our moving down there. Now, stop and think about the impact of that statement. What's he saying? I'm looking everywhere to find a place where I can raise my daughters in purity and I cannot find it in the churches in a town that's got churches on every corner. And I'm hearing that from people in Texas. And I'm hearing that from people in Florida. And I'm hearing that from people in various places all over this country. This particular gentleman, and, and I, I, I especially would like for you men to hear this and then you ladies to take this in because there's something in it for both of you. This gentleman was beginning to become so, so concerned. He had three daughters and he was trying to raise them with modesty and, and in modest, chaste apparel. And uh, his daughters were, of course, feeling like uh, big pink elephants because uh, none of the young ladies in their assembly were wearing those kind of clothes and they were wearing very uh, immodest clothing. And uh, he was beginning to feel the pressure of this and began to wrestle. He was going to a church. I will not mention the name. It is well known in certain circles. Uh, very well known pastors. Men that are, have wor uh, worldwide preaching and teaching ministries. But he said their own daughters were wearing things that he literally had to come in. Come in and the minute that the services would start, he would spend the whole time fighting and struggling not to look in the direction of where they were so that he could keep his mind focused on the living God. Now, <clears throat> he left one of the finest teaching churches that I know of to go to smaller churches. The teaching could, didn't even compare, wasn't even the same doctrine to, to a great degree. And he came out. He said that the, they were, however, very modest. He said, he came out, he got in the car with his wife and he looked at her and he said, something just happened. And she said, what? And he said, something that hasn't happened in a long time. And she said, what? She said, I just spent an hour and a half worshiping God without distraction. He said, I didn't realize how much I had had to start struggling and that so much of the time I wrestled with this. This is not old men's problem. This is young men's problem as well. Counseling I've done over the years. Men wrestle with this daily. Ladies, what you wear when you come to the worship of God is important. This is exactly what he's telling you the words mean. Listen again. What is probably foremost in his mind is the impropriety of women exploiting their physical charms on such occasions and also the emotional disturbance they are liable to cause their male fellow worshipers. Now, do men have a, a, a responsibility in this? Absolutely. They need to learn to guard their eyes. They need to learn to guard their hearts. They need to do exactly what the Scripture says and teach the young, uh, treat the younger women as sisters, not babes. 
and to teach the older and uh, treat the older women as mothers. This is exactly what the scriptures teach us. That means if this is if I'm treating these younger sisters like sisters, then I'm not trying to take advantage of them. A good brother is going to protect them. And I'm not going to sit and, and have the wrong kind of ideas about the older women. I'm going to love them as mothers in purity and wholesomeness. Well, <clears throat> brethren, the hope that I have is very real. I believe with all of my heart, if God will raise up a generation of men, older men, young men, who will give their, their hearts and their souls to the study of God's Word, who will learn to control their appetites, who will learn by the Spirit of God to walk, trusting Him, and learning to be a man who respects women, I believe we will see this change. And there's going to be some great difficulty between now and the time that happens. Because people that take this seriously will be called everything in the book. I talked to a family a week and a half ago who haven't been in a church for eight years and are dying to be in one. That everyone they go in, they don't want their sons exposed to the immodesty of the young women that are there and they don't want their daughters exposed to that either. And brethren, where that is rampant in a church, you can rest assured that the young men are not being taught to respect those godly young women. This is to be to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. We will take up the issues of sensuality and ostentation and the issues of worship and daily life another time. Let me, let me close with these few things. Number one, let us define then modesty after looking at all of these words. When Paul says in like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearl or costly array, but that which becometh women professing godliness with good works, then we can take those words and we can, we can make a definition from that. This is that definition. Christian modesty is the inner self-government. The inner self-government rooted in a proper understanding of one's self before God, which outwardly displays itself in humility and purity from a genuine love for Jesus Christ rather than in self-glorification or self-advertisement. It displays itself in humility and purity from a genuine love for Jesus Christ rather than for the self-glorification or self-advertisement. Friends, this is serious. It's one thing when we go to Walmart and especially in a place like Florida, I mean, the minute it gets above freezing, everybody starts shedding their clothes. It's almost impossible to avoid that where we go. But brethren, not in God's house. 
when we come together, there should be a sense of awe and reverence for our God that comes from a heart melted by His grace that exalts Him and encourages and edifies one another rather than disturbs. Families that are wrestling with this are people who cannot believe that they are going to churches and being mocked by other people there that call themselves Christians. And I have had to sit and counsel parents who sat and wept because their daughters left home because a youth minister have has helped uh, convince their daughter that their parents are too strict and too hard. Several times. Last night, or night before last, I even had to talk with a family whose father was encouraging the daughter who had left. He had left his wife, taught his daughter these things, and had now had become liberated and He'd cast off all modesty and was encouraging her to do the same thing. And the mother sat there and said, What do I do? I feel like I'm so weird. It's one thing for the world to think we're odd. But brethren, when the church helps the world attack our very children, that is perverted and it is wicked. We have lost the concept of modesty. May God grant the opening of eyes and hearts so that we once again might be a covenant community of people who honor the Lord who shed His blood to cleanse us from our sins and make us a holy, a righteous, and a pure congregation. One where we are happy to bring our daughters and our sons that they might have a clear understanding of the purity of the Lord Jesus Christ. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, 
neither came into my heart. From his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.